Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Persis Poku. On today's episode, I wanted to touch on how to respond to Jehovah's Witnesses. How to respond to Jehovah's Witnesses. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Many of you are familiar with the Jehovah Witnesses from the Kingdom Hall and the Watchtower Track Society. These are the individuals, mostly, uh, that we see on Saturday mornings knocking on our doors and um, offering to share the gospel with you uh, based on their theology. And so, for many of us, we've quivered and we've acted like we weren't home, um, tried not to make noises so they wouldn't know that we were home. Uh, we're hiding under curtains and bed sheets and uh, hiding under sofas uh, because we don't know how to adequately respond to them. Many of us feel inadequate. And in my many years of sharing with Jehovah Witnesses, uh, one thing that I've realized uh, is that we do not have to quiver, we do not have to shake, we do not have to be, um, we do not have to feel inadequate. God has blessed us and God has equipped us to stand boldly uh, for the truth and we don't have to be ashamed of the true gospel versus the illegitimate gospel. The Jehovah's Witnesses were started by a gentleman named Charles Taze Russell and it is through Russell's theology as well as his successor uh, theology that we have the present day uh, Jehovah's Witnesses in terms of what they believe and don't believe. So I w- what I want to do is, first of all, um, categorize 
Jehovah's Witnesses. They come across as Christians. They identify themselves as Christians. But uh, just because they have the form doesn't mean the content is real. You can have a form. You can look like a Christian. You can talk like a Christian. You can sound like a Christian. But when we compare what you believe with the word of God, does it line up? And so for the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, many of their major tenets do not line up. They are lovely people. They are nice people. But being nice is not uh, going to get you into heaven if you don't have the authentic Jesus. So uh, being kind is good, but that doesn't necessarily justify you to uh, be with Jesus and to know Jesus. You have to have the real Jesus. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses are indeed a modern-day cult. They are a modern-day cult. And by the word cult, uh, which is derived from the Latin word cultist, which means worship. Uh, We're saying that they worship a different Jesus. They worship a different God. They offer a different view of salvation. And as a result, we must uh, reject their doctrine. So in the theological context, the word cult means a religious group whose worship or allegiance is centered around an individual or an organization who denies or mistranslate the essential doctrines of Christianity, such as salvation, such as deity of Christ, such as trinity, such as atonement, etc. So that is the definition of a cult. Uh, in the true essence, it means worship. But the question is, who are you worshiping? It's not enough just to say, I'm, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, in a sense that you have accepted an incorrect view of Christ. Because even Jesus says in the New Testament, he says, some will come to me in the last days and say, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Lord, did I not not heal in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, uh, O worker of iniquity, I never knew you. So just because someone labeled themselves as a Christian, the next step is, do you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, not um, a, a, a recreated Jesus, not um, a, a demigod, not um, an inauthentic view of Jesus. But do you or have you accepted the Jesus of the Bible? So when it comes to cultic deviation from doctrine, uh, it can be blatant and it can be subtle. So Jehovah Witnesses, uh, for example, uh, deny the divinity of Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus was created by the Father, and he's not eternal. So for Jesus to be created, that means he came in time. That means he had a starting point. But the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus is eternal. He is equal with God the Father. Jesus had no starting point. He is Alpha and Omega. So in addition, the uh, deviation can be implicit, right? Like Mormons. Mormons... um, implicitly have a view of God that the father, uh, the father is an exalted man. And Mormons also believe that um, Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. But we'll touch on that a little bit later. So cults usually stem from a pre-existing host religion. 
Many cults, not all of them, but many cults borrow from other religions in order to exist. So, like, for example, the Nation of Islam borrow from Orthodox Islam. Jehovah's Witnesses borrow from Orthodox Christianity. So, not all cults, but many cults borrow from an existing religion. The doctrinal error of a cult usually involves major doctrinal matters. For example, in Islam, they believe Jesus was just a prophet and not divine. Mormons believe humanity preexisted as gods before their birth. So they believe that you and I were gods before we were born. So again, these are deviant views of, uh, of life, is deviant views of the Bible, and we must not accept it. We must witness to these people in love, even though they believe that they are Christians, many of them, uh, we have to share with them why it's inconsistent with Scripture. So some cults are led by um, individuals uh, like David Koresh and, the, and Branch Davidians. Um, the Unification Church, as an example, led by Reverend Moon. Um, so all of these individuals have charismatic leaders. Um, David Koresh, an example, as an example, actually started teaching that he was Jesus incarnate. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't start embracing these false ideologies thinking that they're legitimate. Some cults are led by um, organizations, not just one person, but organizations like the Watchtower Tract Society and the Jehovah Witnesses. It's interesting, in dealing with the Jehovah Witnesses, they will offer to give you a pamphlet, but they will not accept your literature because the Watchtower Tract Society has taught them to not accept anyone else's literature because they're concerned that if their people who they have cultivated, their people who they have um, brainwashed, if they read any other literature, there's high possibility that they will abandon the Watchtower and Tract Society's training and start listening to the truth. So they tell their workers, their, uh, their converts, to not accept any other literature. So next time a Jehovah Witnesses come to your door or you run into a Jehovah Witnesses on the corner, um, offer them a track. Offer them a literature and see what happens. They will not accept it. They'll, um, they'll, they'll do so kindly, but they will not accept it. But they want you to accept their literature. So cults espouses the following doctrines, meaning in general, what, what do cults look like? They claim to have new revelation from God, like Mormonism, um, where they claim that Jesus um, came and gave them a new revelation that nobody else have. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? 
There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, came with a new revelation. So they come with new revelations, right? Something that the Bible doesn't talk about. Uh, and this is something new that you need to have. So the Bible is not sufficient. Uh, it's something else. It's the, it's the Bible and something else. But that's not true. Number two, they deny the sole authority of the Bible, like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses. Again, it's not just the Bible. They want you to, to believe that it's the Bible and something else. Number three, they, redef- they redefine Christian terminologies like uh, Mormonism, uh, Jehovah Witnesses. Um, we talk about or we use the same terms. If you're talking to a Jehovah Witness, uh, they, believe, they, they say they believe in Jesus. But their view of Jesus is different than the biblical view of Jesus. If you're talking to a Jehovah Witnesses, They'll tell you they believe in salvation, but their criteria or definition of salvation is different than the biblical view of salvation. Um, If you talk to Jehovah Witnesses, they'll tell you they believe in life after death, meaning that uh, there's consciousness after death. But their view of of, of existence after death is different than the biblical view. Uh, Many Jehovah Witnesses believe that there's a soul sleep after death, meaning that you're not conscious, but you exist. But so that's that's a huge distinction. Um, then, when we talk about what these cults espouse, many of them deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Again, like Jehovah Witnesses and Islam. Then, lastly, they deny and misinterpret the doctrine of the Trinity. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that uh, the the Trinity was borrowed from pagan origins, and they don't believe in it. Um, And so they have a whole literature dealing with why they don't believe in the Trinity. And also uh, uh, Mormons, some Mormons deny the or misinterpret the Trinity. So uh, when we talk about Jehovah's Witnesses uh, to argue that Jesus was a lesser deity than the Father, let us deal with that. Uh, John 14 and 28 Jesus said, the Father is greater than I. So again, this is the passage that Jehovah Witnesses use to say that uh, Jesus is a lesser God than the Father. They go to John 14, verse 28, where it says, Jesus said, the Father is greater than I. So let's look at it. Is that what John meant when he said that um, Jesus, well, he quoted Jesus saying, the Father is greater than I. Well, when Jesus said the Father is greater than I, he wasn't referring, he, he was referring to positionally. Now, remember, Jesus um, had humbled himself and come down from heaven. And he's talking about his position, not his nature. Jesus was not saying the Father is more God than he was. Read the context. It has nothing to do with Jesus' ontology. 
The father was still in heaven, surrounded by all of the heavenly privileges. Jesus downgraded his position and took upon him the form of a servant. He added on humanity, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. So contextually, Jesus is talking about where he was, um, where, where he was uh, locationally. Uh, he's talking about where he was going. He was going to a place unlike this sinful world. This place is a much greater place. The father is located in this place. The passage is not dealing with the nature of Jesus at all. It is, however, dealing with the location, meaning his position. So if we look at it anthropomorphically, uh, uh, speaking, we use the same expression in our conversation. Few people would argue with me if I said the president's position is greater than mine. This is not signifying that the president is a greater human being than I am. It just implies that his position is greater. So it has nothing to do with the nature of Jesus Christ. He wasn't saying that God the Father is more God than I am, but he's, look, he's speaking in terms of locality. Uh, the Father is greater than I am. The Father is in heaven. Then let's take a look at Revelations 3 and 14. They, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. Uh, they believe that Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. So if Jesus is the beginning of God's creation, he's not truly alpha. He's, because he had a starting point, if we were to believe the Jehovah's Witnesses. So John uh, 3.14 is not saying Jesus was the first one created by God as the Jehovah's Witnesses preach. Another passage that's been misconstrued by the Jehovah Witnesses is found in Revelations 3 and 14. Revelation 3 and 14 is not saying that Jesus was the first one created by God as they intimate. The Greek word arche, which means beginning, is being misinterpreted by Jehovah's Witnesses. In this context, the Apostle John is not saying Jesus was the first to be created, but rather he is the originator. John is saying Jesus is the originator, designer, creator of God's creation. This word archaic is the root word for our, our Christian word architect or uh, English word architect. We could also say Jesus is the architect of everything created. Revelation 3.14 is indeed harmonious with John's other writing in St. John 1 and 3 when John writes that all things were made by him, Christ Jesus. Again, we find Jehovah's Witnesses misinterpreting scripture in order to fit their biblical worldview. And we call it heresy. Uh, Jesus is the original bringer forth of all creation, not that he himself was created. So again, this Revelation 3 and 14 is implying or telling us rather, Jesus is the original bringer forth of all creations. Then another passage misinterpreted by Jehovah's Witnesses is Colossians 1 and 15. Jesus is the firstborn of God's creation. So the word firstborn does not mean the first one to be born. That's what it seems like in the English, but that's not what it means. That, word, that, that title or the word firstborn doesn't mean that. The Greek word firstborn is prototokos, and it means first in rank. 
That's the word being used in Colossians 1.15. It means first in rank. Jesus is first in rank. This passage is talking about the position of Christ again, not his nature. This verse is saying Christ is supreme over all things. Furthermore, if we follow the Jehovah Witnesses logic, it will contradict scripture. Uh, when we see Yahweh saying Ephraim is his firstborn, it is obvious we cannot have two individuals who are both born first. If we interpret Colossians one fifteen to say Jesus is the firstborn, and then we find in the Old Testament where it says Ephraim is the firstborn, Jeremiah thirty one and nine. It has to be either one or the other. So uh, it doesn't make sense, and it's not consistent with Scripture to interpret firstborn as meaning being born first. This scripture does not contradict itself, right, in terms of uh, this term firstborn. It must mean something else. Again, the correct rendering of Colossians 1.15 is Jesus is first in rank among all the creation and not that he was created first. Then let's take a look at another scripture that the Jehovah Witnesses get wrong. 1 Corinthians 11 and 3. Whereas the term the head of Christ is God or the phrase the head of Christ is God. This verse is not saying Jesus is a lesser God than the father. It has more to do with headship or authority. Scripture is clear that the son, Jesus, in essence, is equal to the father. Philippians 2, 5 through 6. However, they have distinct roles. Christian apologist Ron Rose, as an example, He says, although Jesus is ontologically equal to the Father, there is a functional hierarchy. We find a similar example in humanity. Men and women are equal in being, but the man is called to be the head, 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, or leader. Likewise, Paul is showing us the divine hierarchy of positional authority between the heavenly Father and the servant, who is uh, God. So when we talk about uh, responding or giving answers uh, to the Jehovah Witnesses. There are key biblical argu- arguments that can be made to refute uh, their teachings, uh, especially the teaching as it involves Michael the Archangel. Jehovah Witnesses would try to use the passage in Daniel ten thirteen to prove that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. However, the passage says Michael is one of the chief angels, This cannot be Jesus because the New Testament tells us Jesus is the unique monogenous son of God. If Jesus is unique, he cannot be one of anything. There is no one like him. So that belief that Jesus is the uh, is Michael, Michael, the archangel is not biblical. Number two, Paul is clear that Jesus is not an angel when he rhetorically asks, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father and he should be to me a son. Hebrews 1 and 5. No angel has the relationship that Jesus has with the father. Angels are created beings, but Christ is eternal. Then lastly, as it relates to Jesus being Michael the archangel in Hebrews 1 and 6, Paul says the angels of God are to worship the son. The angels of God include Michael, the archangel. Number four, um, as we talk about Jehovah's Witnesses, let's look at their views of the Holy Spirit. And they believe that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but an active force. 
So Jehovah Witnesses believe the Holy Spirit is just an act of force like energy. They use scriptures like Genesis 1, 1 through 2 to prove their point or try to prove their point. They argue from this verse that God's spirit was his act of force working to shake the earth. However, there are problems with this interpretation. Number one, they mistranslate the Hebrew word ruach, which means spirit, and they mistranslate it as an act of force. It should be translated spirit, not an active force. Number two. They also argue that people being filled demonstrate the Holy Spirit as a force. They argue, how can he fill thousands of people one at a time if he is a person? Comparing Jehovah's Witness doctrine with Scripture would demonstrate uh, that they're in error in terms of uh, their interpretation of the Holy Spirit. A rock, a table, or electricity do not have personality, number one. We find through Scripture that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, so he is a person, Ephesians 4, 4 and 30. We can lie to the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 5. He has emotions, Ephesians 4 and 30. These characteristics cannot be found in an inanimate object if he's just an active force. The Holy Spirit is a person because of the character trait that he possesses as highlighted by Scripture. The Holy Spirit is even, uh, Holy Spirit is even to be obeyed, Acts 13 and 2. How can we obey electricity? Again, as we compare the Jehovah Witnesses doctrine with scripture, it just doesn't fit. The Holy Spirit, he is the third person of the Trinity. So we're going to stop um, on this topic as we discuss um, answers or response to Jehovah Witnesses that we come across or we may have in our families or that uh, we work with. Uh, there's just so much more we can touch on, but our show has come to a close, and uh, we just want to thank you all for your continual prayers. Pray for one another. Continue to do ministry and work on behalf of God. He's called all of us to be co-laborers with Jesus Christ, those of us that know him and love him. So we are praying for you. We are praying for your boldness as we share in it, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we disciple and mentor others, continue to fight the good fight. And we always are in need of your prayers and your financial support. Please go online, srministries.org, or you can send your donation to Sound Reason Ministries. P.O. Box 582306, El Grove, California, 95758. And remember to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. God bless. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning. Once in a generation, a podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire us all. This show will entertain you while you wait for that one. 
Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com.